How's everyone doing? Good. It's good to see this place packed out. Thanks for, as your mama would say, mama wants you to come to church, right? So uh, everyone took mama's advice and came today. So we're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll turn there. And uh, people were asking me, are you doing a special Mother's Day message? And I said, well, yes, kind of. I'm doing, uh, we're going through the book of Ephesians. So the passage we're on today, it's quite interesting. These are all things that Mama would have told me anyways. So uh, we're going to package this Ephesians passage as things Mama used to say and actually still does. So uh, as you turn there... Um, I read an article in Forbes that was called, Can You Put a Price on Motherhood? And I thought it was quite intriguing. They broke down a yearly, yearly salary for a mom. And this is from salary.com. And they, they had two categories, mothers that work and stay-at-home moms. And they had ten categories of what mothers do. There's the daycare center teacher. There's the CEO, psychologist, the cook, housekeeper, Laundry machine operator, there's the computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, and the van driver. So that, that's a lot of work, isn't it? So they decided that the average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary, you ready, of $112,962. How many of you moms want to sign up for that? And this was based upon the average 40-hour work week plus the average stay-at-home mom works 54.7 hours of overtime. And all the moms would say, amen. Now, what about the moms who work and take care of the kids? Um, their salary, just for the mom role, not counting your job salary, they factored at, factored at $66,969. So we owe you ladies who work as well. And this was... Considered her normally 40 hours of work, and then she put in 40 hours of mothering and 17.9 hours of overtime. So, Lori, I owe you a lot of money when we get home. So, I don't know where it's coming from, but uh, if we were to write a check. So, we want to honor all ladies, and especially our mothers. And at the end of the service, we have some a special flower as you walk out, and it's just a little token of our love for you. I believe it's red rose, I think they picked out. So uh, we just want to let you know we love you and we're thankful for our moms. And I have my mom sitting in the middle. For those of you who don't know, I'm the youngest of six kids, so I was kind of the surprise package. And then so I want to honor her and my mother-in-law and my wife, who currently we're up to four kids. People are saying, how many kids do you have right now? We have four. So <laughs> she's shaking her head. So uh, we're just happy to be here. Amen. So let's jump into Ephesians 4. We're going to read the text and then... We're going to talk about Paul's writings that many mothers have used this throughout the years to teach their kids important lessons. And as we talk about it, some of you will say, yeah, my mama told me that as well. All right, verse 25, it says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You ever hear your mama say, don't lie? There you go. Verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. But let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Now, verse 29 is really hard. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That's the word no, like never have any corrupt word. 
but what is good for necessary edification that it may minister grace to the hearers. In verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you, from you with all malice. And this is a verse my mother used to quote to me all the time. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for moms. And Father, as we discuss Paul's words to the church at Ephesus, help us just remember the lessons that you've taught us throughout the years through our parents and specifically through our mothers. And help this universal truth uh, just be a good reminder of just how the Christian life is to be lived, that we're no longer dead, but now we're alive in Christ. We were lost, but now we're found. We were hopeless, but now we're hope-filled. We were far from God, but now we are brought near to God. So, Father, as we look into your words, speak to our hearts and help us to understand and help us to leave forever change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message is simply called, Mama Always Told Me. This is a special Mother's Day edition. So the first thing that Mama always told me is, number one, always tell the truth and avoid telling lies. How many of you, your mother's told you that? Like all the time, right? Look at verse 25. He says, therefore, putting away lying, lying, let each one of you speak truth of his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Today's culture, if you think about it, is full of fabrications, falsehoods, um, things that are spun t- toward us. You can't even look at the news, right, without having facts spun one way or the other. And it's a really challenge today to know what, what is real truth. Because one side is saying one thing, another side is saying another thing, and you're like, who are we to believe? But the good thing about God's Word is it's always right and always true. Kind of get uh-huh. So I came across this article of famous American fibs. Let's see if anyone has told this to you. The check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. We service what we sell. Give me your number and the doctor will call you right back. (laughs) Money cheerfully refunded. One size fits all. This offer is limited to the first hundred people who call in. Your luggage isn't lost. It's only misplaced. Leave your resume and we'll keep it on file. This hurts me more than it hurts you. I just need five minutes of your time. I mean, you've heard that one before, an hour later. Your table will be ready in five minutes. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. Sorry for those dentists out there. Let's have lunch sometime. It's not the money, it's the principle. We live in a culture full of, are we really telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And I I love how the Bible gives us a put-off, put-on equation. He says, instead of lying, become a truth teller. And here's the thing about vices. If you don't replace a vice with a virtue, you're bound to replace one vice with another vice. Now, don't raise your hand about this, but how many of you have quit a bad habit and have picked up just as another bad habit? And that's why the Bible is full of put off and put on. So Paul tells us, listen, put off lying and start walking in truth. Because we follow Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. So it's a contradiction to say, I follow Jesus, and yet you can't trust me. You ever hear people say, 
Um, I, I mean it, I promise, believe me. Or they say things like, I swear. Like, do we really need to say those things? Your word should be good enough to say, I take you at your word. How many of you grew up in a day where your, your handshake was all that was needed? And today we, we sign like 10-page contracts because people don't keep their word. So mama always told me, tell the truth and avoid lies. And there's a reason why mama told you to tell the truth. Because the truth and only the truth shall set you free. But lies bind you and keep you bound. We shall say the truth, we shall tell the truth, and we shall live the truth. And then we shall be free and we shall stay free. Can I get amen? Mama always told me, number two, let anger be slow to come and quick to go. Don't look at anyone next to you, but how many of you know someone that gets angry very easily? Do you know anger in itself is not a sin? It's just an emotion. The Bible says that anger is okay as long as it's slow to come and quick to go. For most of us, the challenge is it's quick to come and it's slow to, slow to go. So the, verse 26 says, be angry, or in the NIV other translation says, in your anger, do not sin. Did you know that anger can make you do really stupid things that you'll regret? Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have punched holes in the wall? How many of us have ever gotten road rage? You're, you're looking at people next to you. Don't look at the person next to you. Anger is okay as long as it's slow to come and quick to go. So this verse says, in your anger, don't let it trip you up. James 1.19 is a good verse for us. It says, so then, my dear beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. The challenge is we're usually the opposite. We're usually quick to talk. Uh, we're usually quick to... Um, get angry and we're usually slow to hear. So this says when you're in a trial or in a crisis, instead of being rash and saying things you'll regret, listen more, talk less, and then the anger is, is going to subside. Proverbs 19.11, this is a really good verse. For those of you who work in the marketplace and you don't really like your boss, hopefully your boss is not here, but uh, you know th- things are sometimes get heat in the marketplace. Listen to this verse. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. In other words, when someone wrongs you, it's to your glory and for God's glory not to take it to heart. How many of us wear fillings on our sleeve? Every time someone looks at us wrong, we're up in arms and angry. So since that's the case of many of us, in the Mayo Clinic, I I found this and it's on your listening guide, 10 steps for dealing with anger issues. And if you've ever been to anger management class, you've probably heard a few of these tips. The first one is think before you speak. That's pretty obvious, right? Number two, once you're calm, deal with your anger. Because unresolved anger leads to rage down the road. If you don't deal with anger while it's small and you don't talk through it, it's pent up and then it produces an explosion. How many of us married couples have ever had that? We buried it and all of a sudden, uh, it's because of unresolved anger. Number three... This is very good. Get some exercise. Exercise is such a practical way to relieve stress. Number four, take a time out. It's okay to say, listen, I'm a little upset right now. Is it okay if I just have a little quiet time? I need to clear my head. Communicate that. Don't just storm off, but communicate. I need a little time. Number five, identify possible solutions. To every problem, there should be a solution, and that will help with the anger. Number six, stick with I statements. The quickest way to get the other person angry is to say you 
It's one thing to say, you know, I'm struggling. It's another thing, well, you did this. Number seven, don't hold a grudge. Because when you nurse a grudge, it turns into a real killer in your life. Number eight, use humor to relieve tension. How many of you have ever been in a, a, a heated situation and the person told a joke? And it really like, man, I thought this was serious and it really lightened the mood. Practice relaxation skills and know when to ask help. That's, that's really good advice. All right, number three. Mama always told me, someone say mama said. Good, number three. It feels like we're around a dinner table right now. Don't allow the devil to have access to your life. And some of you, before I even read the verse, you're like, wait a second. I thought Christians, the devil can't have access. Well, you can't be demon-possessed, but the Bible talks about you can give the devil a foothold in your life. Read verse 27. It says, nor give place to the devil. Other translations say opportunity, a foothold. So here's the thing about anger. If you let anger go unchecked and you don't settle it, while it's there, the devil can have a, a weak spot into your life. He can cause opportunity to make you say and do things you, you would regret. And we have a lot of doctors in our congregation, and the doctor would tell you sometimes when you get an injury, until the injury heals up, you're more susceptible in that spot. So if you've had a broken leg and the leg's not healed up completely, it's easy to re-break it again in that same situation. So in, in like manner, if you have a place in your life where you're vulnerable to temptation, just you've got to allow that area to heal up. Otherwise, you become more susceptible. So how does, how does Satan tempt us in different areas? I think there's a few basic ways. The first one is through our eyes, through the things that we see. He tries to get at us through our ears, the things that we hear. How many of you, critical thinking and talking bring you down? I mean, you're at work, you're around someone critical, and it just you feel brought down. Um, what about fears? Sometimes Satan works through our fears. A fear is false evidence appearing real. Where Satan just gets in your mind and he throws thoughts at you. And he, he causes you to struggle. Through insecurities. A lot of times we result to anger and to other issues because we're insecure. And Jesus wants us to find our identity and security in who? In him. What about through emotions that are left unchecked? There's nothing wrong with emotions. But like anger, if it's not resolved, Satan can come in and he can uh, do a work. I once heard a parable about this uh, beggar. And he was in the land of the Philippines. And he, he came across and he saw this beautiful house. And he's like, oh, that's a beautiful house. And um, he asked the American builder how much the house was. And the American builder said, well, the house is $2,000. How many of you would want to buy it? I mean, that's pretty cheap, right? So he's like, okay. So he came back a few months later, and he had done just manual labor, whatever jobs he could find, and he saved up $1,000. And he said, I want to buy the house. And the American man said, I'm sorry, it's $2,000. Um, I can't sell it for 1000 And the guy kept coming day after day after day, till finally the American man just wanted to move on and go to the next house. And he said, I'll sell it to you half price with one stipulation. He said, you see that nail protruding from the door? He said, I want ownership of that nail, and you can have the house for $1,000. And the Filipino man was like, man, this is amazing. So he got the house. Five years later, he had gotten married, had kids, and he heard a knock on his door. And it was the American um, builder, and he had gone bankrupt, and all he had left was $1,000. And he said, I want to buy the house back. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't. You see, i got a wife, i got kids now. 
So the American builder went and found the carcass of a dead dog and hung it on the nail. And over time, the guy finally got sick and tired of the house. He had to move out because it became so horrible, he had to sell the house back for $1,000. So that parable illustrates this. If you leave the devil just one little area of your life, he can come back and he can hang his garbage on your life. And none of us want that. Amen. So I was thinking about it this week. And I really believe like the, the strongholds that Satan sets up in our life are the areas that we don't surrender to Christ. It's hard for me to fathom any scenario where if you are fully surrendered in that area, Satan can come in and hang his garbage on your life. So I believe those areas that are we struggle with are areas that we haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. Surrender is kind of hard because how many of us have areas that we're not aware of that are unsurrendered? So I like to say it like this. Surrender is giving every known area to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as he reveals more areas, guess what? You surrender it. If you don't surrender it, it's a vulnerable spot where Satan can come and tempt you. So let's continue on. Someone say, Mama said. Be a giver and not a taker. Now, I think this verse is so important. Look at verse 28. It says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. So again, we have the put off, put on. So the put off is this. Instead of stealing, um, what we need to do is work hard, and not only work hard, but have enough to give. So you see the scenario. A person who steals is thinking about who? Just myself. A person who works and works so hard they have money left over to give, they have turned greed into generosity. And I think that we are most like Jesus when we love and when we give. The antidote to greed is generosity. So if you or I struggle with American greed, the greatest antidote is to give. And that's what this verse says. Instead of being a taker, be a giver. You are most like Jesus when you love and when you give. Number five, I'm not going to ask you to say Mama said this time. Mama said, be careful what you say and how you say it. How many of you, your mothers, told you this? Watch what you say. Anybody have their mouth washed out with soap growing up? Just curious. I don't remember ever happening. I probably should have had it happen a few times. Verse 29 is one of the hardest verses in the Bible to follow. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, I can understand most, but no. That's, that's a pretty high standard, but it's the biblical standard. I was reading a story um, this comes way back in the day from the 1800s. The guy's name was Konraty Rylev. And uh, Konraty was revolting against the Russian government, against the Caesar. His name was Alexander or Nicholas I. And it was in December of 1825, around Christmas time, they had decided that Konraty was going to be hung for his treason against the Russian government. So they had prepared the rope and they were getting ready to hang Konraty. And as they hung him, all of a sudden the rope snapped and broke. And Conradi fell to the ground, bruised and battered. And instead of saying, man, I'm so glad I survived this, he got up and said, even in Russia, they don't even know how to make a rope right. And just started going off. So generally, when this type of thing happened, the government would pardon such a person because it may be by divine interference that this person survived. 
So they went back to the czar and they said, czar, um, your majesty, we don't know what to do. Um, the rope broke. And uh, so the czar Nicholas said, well, what did he say? And he repeated what he said. Even in Russia, they don't know how to do anything right now. They make a rope. And he said, let the contrary be proven. So be careful what you say. He would have been pardoned, but he wasn't because of his words. It reminds me of Solomon when he said, in the tongue, there is the power of life and death. And if you speak life, guess what? You're going to experience much more life. If you speak death, watch out because your words, they have power. This reminds me of being careful what you say. If you go back in the text where it says, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt in the original Greek, it's kind of a vivid picture. It describes rotten fruit or it describes things like a, a, a fish that has gone bad. So I'm not going to ask you about any fishing stories, but I'll tell you one of mine. One time when I was in uh, middle school, I went fishing. and some, I, ble- I don't know the true story, but I think some of my friends played a prank on me because they put the night crawlers in my tackle box and they left them to die in the hot sun of the car. And I didn't discover it till a few days later. And I don't know if you've ever smelt rotten night crawlers, but it's not a good smell. To this day, it turns my stomach when I remember it. So what Paul's saying here is your words have an effect. They can be like a rotten fruit or a rotten fish. So here's, here's what Paul's trying to say. Those who have received grace... Grace receivers should also be grace givers. And I don't understand in Christianity, in the church, if we have been recipients of grace, we should be the most graceful people there are in the world. But why do why does in some churches things go south? Why do people get bitter, critical, negative? I don't know. You won't find that in the Bible, but it happens. So Paul says, listen, your words... They need to edify people. They need to build people up. So think about your words in the past 24 hours. Has the majority of what you said built people up and encouraged them? Or have they been discouraging? We have two main people in life. There's encouragers and they are discouragers. You can't be both. You're either one or the other. So that's, that's why it says no corrupt word. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just a mailman. I'm just presenting the message. It's, it's tough. All right, Mama said, number six. Don't break God's heart by the way you live. Verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So talking about Mother's Day, I want to tell you a story about a woman who had nine children. Uh, Her name was Mary Thomas, and uh, she had nine children. Seven of them were boys. Could you imagine how that house would be? She lived in the rough side of the west side of Chicago, very rough area. So one day, she got a knock on her door, and there were 25 thugs outside of her door. And she's like, what is going on? And the thugs basically said, ma'am, we're here because we want to recruit your seven kids to join the vice lords of Chicago. It was this rugged gang. And she's like, "Uh, just one minute. So what would you do? She closed the door, and, I mean, what would you do? The tension there. She opened the door, and the next thing the 25 vice lords saw was the double shotgun barrel staring at them. It was loaded and ready. And she said, the only gang in this household is the Thompson gang. And you have no place. So the vice lords ran off. And Mary Thomas ushered her nine gang members through high school. And one of them 
became famous. Anybody heard the name Isaiah Thomas? Famous NBA player, not the one playing now, but the former Isaiah Thomas. So she had the tenacity of, listen, we're not going to do this the world's way. We're going to do it the right way. Verse 30 says that the Holy Spirit is the person, the person of the Trinity, that you can grieve. And it's kind of mysterious, but it's a reality that whenever a person becomes a Christian, I mean, this, this is so amazing to think about. I have to remind myself of it. God actually moves inside of you. Have you ever thought about that? When you say, Jesus, come into my life, come into my heart, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. So everywhere you go, guess what? God goes with you. Every thought that you think, guess who knows your thoughts? God knows. So on your outline, your listening guide, if you'll notice, I, I gave six implications about the Holy Spirit living in you. The first one I just mentioned, everywhere you go, God is with you. Number two, when you say no to God, the Holy Spirit is grieved. You know, it, it's a contradiction to say no, Lord. You should say yes, Lord, right? Which is number three. When you say yes to God, the Holy Spirit is rejoicing. Number four, when you have, you have God, but when you invite him into your heart, you have him, but he doesn't have all of you. So you ever hear, hear us in church, we talk about being filled with the Spirit. What that literally means is when I'm filled with God, I'm empty of myself. The problem is we tend to fill up with ourselves again. So that's why the Bible says be filled moment by moment, day by day. Because how many of you know we're leaky vessels and we also, it's easy for us to get filled with ourselves. So the term be filled with the Holy Spirit means, God, you have all of me. I'm empty vessel. You fill me. If you're full of yourself, God doesn't have a whole lot of room to operate with. Number five, the Holy Spirit is your teacher, encourager, and your coach. Did you realize that you may say, I don't have any mentors in my life? Well, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't have any good teachers. Well, the Holy Spirit's the greatest teacher. And he's there to guide you and help you. Number six, the Holy Spirit is working in your life to make you more like like Christ. That's his goal. Number seven, Mama says, don't be bitter, be better. How many of you ever heard that phrase? Don't be bitter, be better. Look at the next verse. He lists six bad vices that we were to get rid of. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you, all malice. Instead, he says, be kind, as we're going to talk about in the next verse. So here's the thing about bitterness. And I never really fully saw this before, but how many of you have ever heard of gateway drugs? How one drug can lead to other drugs? And, you know, they talk about that in school, gateway drugs. Did you know bitterness is kind of like a gateway sin? Whenever you allow bitterness in your life, the Bible calls it this poisonous root that spreads. And if you show me a bitter person, I'll show you someone that's just susceptible to anger and rage and all these vices he lists there. In Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, it says, work at living with peace with everyone. And it says, work at living a holy life. Verse 15, it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up, causing you trouble and corrupting many. So you think about bitterness. Whenever a person has been hurt and they haven't given that hurt over to God, it it creates bitterness. And bitterness left unchecked, the Bible says, is like a root that spreads throughout your life. And it affects the way you feel. It affects the way you think. And it causes you much trouble. So Paul would say, listen, don't allow bitterness to hurt you. 
It's been said that a rattlesnake, when it's cornered, it gets so angry that sometimes a rattlesnake will even bite itself. I mean, think about that. It's so angry when it's cornered, a rattlesnake can even bite itself. And that's what bitterness does. It's like an atomic bomb that goes off in you. That whenever you're bitter, it spreads and it affects you, it affects your family. So let's get rid of bitterness, amen? Number eight. And finally, let's hear one more mama says. My mama told me this all the time. Treat others like you would want them to treat you. How many of your mamas said that? That's called the golden rule. And we find that in verse 32, a principle that it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So I want you to think about these are great ways to have good relational skills. Treat others with kindness and love. If you treat others with kindness and love, they see it. And that really makes a difference. Connect with them on a personal level by being tenderhearted towards others. You know, we live in the social media generation of selfies. And how many of you have ever taken a selfie? Don't raise your hand. But, you know, nothing wrong with it. But we live in this generation where it's my highlight reel, right? So for those of you men who have checked out, I'll give you an illustration to check you back in. uh, Sports Center, they have the top ten you know, shows. And, you know, on social media, most people don't put their negative. It's their top ten highlight reels. Like, I, I had a great date. I did this. I did that. They don't tell you what happened between times, right? It's a highlight reel. So whenever you have tenderness towards others, it's saying, listen, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about me thinking about myself. It's about you. And I want to bring tenderheartedness back to our culture. I want us to say, you know, we're, we're a church that's not just about us. It's about others. It's about Jesus. It's about the community. That's what it's called to be missional, to reach out to others. And be a graceful friend where it says forgiving each other. How many of you know as people who have been forgiven, fallen people, we're going to get on each other's nerves sometimes. We're going to say things that offend each other. So let's give each other forgiveness in advance because we're going to mess up. Can I get a huh? We're going to make mistakes. But you know what? At the end of the day, God is there to forgive us and to help us and renew us. This past week, um, I, I took both my daughters out on dates. And uh, it's the funnest thing is uh, each one is different. Noelle is so quiet. She's turning four next month. And she won't talk much. But when I take her on a date, she'll open up and talk. So it's kind of good to get her away from her talkative sister, Kira, because she talks a lot. And Noelle can't get a word in otherwise. Um, I think Kira takes after me. And Noelle is more like Lori, more quiet. But um, so anyways, I took I took Noelle out first and I took a picture of her eating ice cream and I put it on my phone screensaver. And Kira, when she saw it, she said, what about me? Where's my picture? at?" And I said, well, I can't. I don't think I can put more than one screensaver. But when I take you out later this week, I'll put your picture on my phone. So I took her out and put her picture and her picture was on my screensaver. And I began to think, you know, I don't think God has a cell phone, but if he did, your picture would be on his phone. I don't think he's got a fridge in heaven, but if he did, your picture would be on his fridge. That's how much he loves and cares for you. I can only have one picture at a time, but God, your Heavenly Father, loves all of you infinitely so much, each of your pictures is before him. I can't explain it, but I just see the Father's love. And when I look at this passage, the the motive of it is not some moralism, but the motive is this. Your Heavenly Father loves you so much. He's given you a new life. 
And he adores you so much. He doesn't want these things to weigh you down. He doesn't want bitterness to creep in because he wants you to be a person of love. He doesn't want corrupt speech to come in because he wants you to be a life giver, not a life taker. All of these things we've talked about is out of the heart of the Heavenly Father's love. So your take-home truth is this. To summarize the entire message in one sentence, live like you're a new person because Jesus has made you different inside and out and it should show outside. So if Jesus has made you new, let's live like it. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, your beauty and your majesty. We thank you that you've got rich and wonderful plans for us. And Father, I I pray for all of us. I think all the points that we each would say, ouch, and help us. So Lord, as a congregation, where one of these points of bitterness has hit us or grudges, or God, maybe we're negative, maybe we're more critical, and your word tells us not to be. Um, Forgive us and help us. And God, help us to be grace, not just grace receivers, but grace givers, to edify and build one another up. And God, I thank you that all of our pictures are before you, that you love us so much. And because of your love, we're to operate differently. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. At this time, we're going to have a closing hymn of invitation.